hello and welcome to the Leaders in Clean Tech podcast. Each week, our host, David Hunt, speaks to a leading startup CEO, executive, or thought leader in the clean tech sector. Focused on the clean energy and clean mobility transitions, each guest shares the highs and lows of their clean tech journey, their industry insights, and their vision and hopes for the future. Hello, I'm David Hunt, CEO and founder of Hyperion Executive Search and your host for the Leading Cleantech podcast. As we all wait optimistically for some game-changing policy commitments from our world leaders at COP26, I'm delighted to have as my guest this week the CEO of a cleantech company with a truly game-changing battery technology addressing the speed of charging an electric vehicle. Uh, but before we get to that, just a quick reminder, I'll be speaking at the Solar and Storage Live event at the NEC in Birmingham in the UK on the 24th of November. I'll also actually be recording a special episode of this podcast at the show on the Wednesday with a couple of guests, uh, which obviously more of uh, near at the time. Uh, details to register for the event will be on the episode page. I hope some of you may be able to come and share a coffee or a conversation. Uh, but on to business. My guest today is Doran Meyersdorf, CEO of StoreDot a pioneer and leader uh, in the extreme fast charging batteries sector, batteries that overcome the critical barrier to mainstream EV adoption, namely range and charging anxiety. Uh, the company has revolutionized the conventional Leon battery by designing and synthesizing proprietary organic and inorganic compounds, making it possible to fully charge an EV in just five minutes. Uh, among other things, I'm keen to explore how research into the Alzheimer's disease led to storage and battery breakthroughs. Fascinating world, fascinating background, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Doran. Welcome to the Leads in Clean Tech podcast. It's great to have you with us. Hi, David. Uh, thanks for having me. So it's been a, a super interesting ride to watch from outside the evolution of StoreDot. I'm really keen to dig into that. I think I first met some of your team at the Move event in London uh, pre-COVID and clearly much has changed since then. So really keen to look into uh, how the company's evolved and where we are at the moment. But uh, it's customary in the podcast to start a little bit of the entrepreneur or the founder background. So it'd be interesting if you could share a little bit of your experience and what led you to the situation where you co-founded Stordot. Sure. Yeah, actually, my background uh, is in the semiconductor industry in previous life. Uh, I was uh, heading the uh, uh, solid state uh, drive SSD uh, business at SanDisk uh, that was okay. later acquired by WD, Western Digital. And uh, we were looking for new materials that can actually improve the uh, write speed into the flash memory. Mm -hmm. You know, the, in flash memory, there's read and there's write. Uh, so uh, usually uh, the, there are issues with the write. And we were trying to see, you know, which, which kind of materials can actually help us. And uh, I came across uh, some very interesting research at uh, Tel Aviv University around peptides and some organic materials that could be the future of semiconductors. There was actually a paper in Nature that, that caught uh, uh, my eyes. And I uh, collaborated with our chief scientist at the time, uh, Professor Litzin, and there was uh, this Professor Rosenman. He was also a co-founder at the university working on these uh, peptide materials. And this is how we started. Uh, this was actually uh, some outcome of a research uh, over the Alzheimer's disease. Uh, as they were looking for a cure for that, uh, they came across the ability to uh, manage the self-assembly of the peptides. And this is how we started. We, we looked at uh, how to improve flash memory that came out of the research on 
uh, Alzheimer's disease cure. And uh, somehow uh, it, it, uh, it started uh, this way. But it turned out to be a battery uh, innovation group. Uh, and we showed very exciting things early on. Uh, and this is how we got our first investment from Samsung and mm -hmm. then uh, from uh, Mercedes and then from BP and TDK. So uh, it, it all started in a very interesting way. Yeah, no, it always fascinates me how innovation and creativity um, don't always go the way that you plan or, or, or you learn from things uh, in a way that wasn't quite expected. And, and clearly, whilst uh, research in Dalsheim is phenomenally important, it's interesting that, uh, that some research there has led to uh, the breakthroughs uh, that uh, Stoddard have achieved and are continuing to achieve, in, uh, as you say, in the battery space. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, when you combine different disciplines, because we are talking about medicine and about organic synthesis and nanotechnology, and now also AI, you know, with mm -hmm. machine learning. When you combine all these disciplines together, you can actually achieve something that is really groundbreaking. Yeah, I mean, how do you see, uh, just to sort of go on the side, because I've had a few guests and, and, and a number of clients who are, have come out of Israel where there's a really phenomenal uh, technology um, innovation in a number of areas. Is there some kind of... I don't know, secret source or some kind of focus on cross, I should say, cross-sector uh, collaboration or, or cross-discipline collaboration that uh, fuels the type of innovation that we're talking about? Yeah, I think it's a combination of uh, several things that are unique to Israel. Uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is the military uh, service, where you actually uh, do things that typically, you know, an 18-year-old uh, kid will not do. Mm -hmm. uh, you are exposed to uh, large systems. You are exposed to uh, really fascinating technologies. Um, you know, so for example, both our VP R&D and our VP Engineering are coming from elite units uh, for material uh, science uh, in the uh, Israeli army. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and there's also the collaboration model in the army where you don't really. I mean, there is the hierarchy of your commander. But because these, these are uh, uh, roles that uh, depend on science, there's less of this uh, hierarchy that comes into play. And there's a lot of collaboration uh, between different ranks uh, that, that supports, uh, you know, the startup mentality. Right. Where basically, every new scientist, every junior guy can actually come with a great idea and uh, can actually make a difference. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, in terms of the uh, start point for Stordot, your background, as you've alluded to, uh, and, and obviously we'll post some details online so people can see a bit more, you've worked for some fairly sizable companies as well as startups. Um, when you started uh, Stordot, you obviously found this um, potential, at least, uh, materials uh, that could make an impact. How was the startup? Because quite quickly you raised money, which is often a challenge for startups. But what were the sort of the early uh, challenges that you faced as a co-founding team? So, the, you know, the challenge is always for a startup when uh, you, you want to show something to demonstrate that, uh, you know, what you have is not just paperware or vaporware. Mm -hmm. uh, and you want to show real things. So here we were lucky because we could use the facilities at the university, at Tel Aviv University, and we demonstrated... Uh, various applications uh, for these, uh, at the time we called those nanodots. These are those peptides that uh, we kind of manage the self-assembly process and we showed how we can use them in lasers, 
or in a, in a flash memory or in a battery. And once we had these uh, initial demonstrations, we could uh, invite uh, some investors. One of them was uh, Samsung Ventures. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they actually got really excited. And uh, eventually after, I would say, like nine months of uh, due diligence of various applications, uh, they uh, led the round of the first uh, $6 million uh, back in 2013. Okay, okay. So a reasonable sum for quite an early stage, but as you say, having something tangible to show is uh, does help when there is so much, as you say, vaporware of one description or other out there. A lot of hype and froth in many markets. So when you started the, the business, as you say, there are many applications. Clearly, we're going to focus on, and you're very focused on, the charging of electric vehicles at, at, at high speed, which we'll elaborate on shortly. But was that always the case? Did you always see that batteries was the main application in, in EVs particularly? Because, of course, that market has grown exponentially. But even handful of years ago was nowhere near the market that we see today. So yes, because we did see the potential of organic materials to reduce the resistance of the battery. And you know, once you reduce the resistance, then you can actually push the ions faster and there's less heat that is being generated uh, when you charge the battery. So we showed how you can take these materials uh, and improve the composition of the anode. Uh, this is the negative uh, element of the battery where all the ions need to come into as yep. you charge. And very quickly, we demonstrated a smartphone uh, that can be fully charged in 30 seconds. And, you know, we've put this uh, demonstration online in, in a very simple video clip. It got like three and a half million hits in like 24 hours. So that, that told me that there is a, there is a real problem here that, that uh, we, we can solve. Yeah, yeah, and I know there are some other videos, and we, we, we touched on this when we spoke before about uh, obviously starting to, to do live demonstrations of, uh, of, of small you know, micro mobility uh, right. solutions, which we can we, we can elaborate on. Um, right. So tell us a little bit. We've got quite an educated audience, but tell us a little bit specifically about Store.dot and, and how your technology works as best as you can without obviously breaking any commercial <laughs> uh, details. But you know, what's the uh, the key elements of the technology and what's the main problem you're solving or planning to solve in the coming years? Okay, so, you know, for uh, the adoption of electric vehicles, which is, I think, the biggest revolution that is happening in our lifetime, um, and we, we can touch up on that a bit later, why I think this is like the number one uh, uh, disruption to the entire supply chain and the market and the user behavior, the driver behavior, mobility as a whole. Yep. Uh, but the number one problem today for adoption, and there are many reports and we've done our own research, is the range anxiety. And also adds to, it, adds to this is the charging anxiety. Well, the difference is the range anxiety is if you're worried that you'll get stuck on the highway, mm -hmm. right? And the charging anxiety is that you already have reached the charging station, but there are like 10 cars in front of you, or you need to sit there for two hours charging. Uh, this also disrupts your trip, and, and you know, and this is uh, really a, a factor that uh, makes people uh, uh, leave uh, uh, this uh, electric vehicle adoption altogether. So solving this problem, this number one problem, uh, is our mission. And the way that we do that is through the uh, fast charging. Some other companies, some competitors are... And also, by the way, all the big players, are, including Tesla, by the way, that uh, maybe we'll touch on, on them later on, yeah. are trying to increase uh, the, the range. So, you know, 400 miles, for example, is, is, is a range that everybody believes uh, in one charge can solve the uh, range anxiety. And, and in order to do that, people are adding some silicon 
to the uh, graphite yep. of the almond uh, in order to uh, increase the energy density. We are taking a different approach. We are also using silicon in the anode, but we are almost totally replacing the graphite with silicon, with nano-silicon. And the reason that it is nano is in order to uh, increase the surface area of the uh, uh, approach of the ions into the active material. And as you have more of these tiny uh, elements, these particles, you have more place, uh, more porosity and more uh, ability of the ions to come in faster. So this is what we do. We are replacing the graphite in the anode, which is the, I'd say, standard active material in batteries. We are replacing it with silicon. And we are doing that uh, in, uh, in conjunction with the organic compounds. These are those peptides that historically we started with mm-hmm. that allows to protect the silicon uh, as it's being charged because uh, it is a known problem that silicon and by the way also tin also germanium all the metalloids that are under uh, you know column four you know under column four you have the carbon the silicon the germanium the tin all those can have uh, good energy but they also have a problem of uh, expansion yeah so as the ions come in it, it, it inflates like a balloon and as they come out, when you discharge, uh, it, uh, it contracts. And this, uh, this motion of expansion and contraction creates these cracks and, uh, I'd say, instability uh, uh, as the battery matures uh, over the cycle life that uh, is being charged and discharged uh, over time. So the organic compounds allow us to protect uh, these nanoparticles and, and provide some hosting matrix that holds this silicon in place uh, and, and relatively stable and we can reach uh, hundreds and even a thousand cycles uh, of fast charging, continuous fast charging of the battery. And when we say fast charging, uh, we mean extreme fast charging, meaning full charge of the battery in minutes uh, as opposed to hours uh, in, in graphite-based uh, batteries. Yeah, it's certainly game-changing to to achieve that, even for those of us who are used to driving electric vehicles and uh, you, you kind of adapt to what's necessary. But, of course, the ability to fully charge in that time frame changes everything, I think, for, for, for most people. Um, before we get a little more into the technology, just picking back on something you discussed there, Doran, and it's kind of something that comes up often and is almost a bit of a cliche now that kind of the the, the, the modern electric vehicle is, a, is more of an iPad on wheels than it is a, a traditional uh, you know vehicle of, uh, as we know it. Um, and that goes back to disruption. Clearly, the iPhone or the smartphone more specifically was a number of technologies all evolving at the same time creating a perfect storm and we've all seen how uh, smartphones have changed pretty much the whole world and the way we do our our business where we conduct our lives the transition to electrification of transport likewise is monumental and and you you pick it out as one of the game-changing or more the, the sort of the most significant disruptions that are going on amongst many at the moment Yes, big time, because I think there are a number of uh, revolutions that are taking place uh, all at once. And, you know, because we are at the eye of the storm, we don't really, uh, you know, look at it uh, at the big picture. But, uh, you know, the revolution of the autonomous uh, vehicles, as well as the uh, connected, uh, everything is connected to the Internet and, con- and the vehicles are connected to the, between themselves, connected to the grid, connected to the server, 
so there's the connected, the autonomous, uh, and there's also the shared mobility, which is happening also big time uh, in, ver- in many models of, of mobility. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, especially the Generation Z, not everybody needs to own a vehicle in order to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all of these are, are being enabled with the electrification. And all of them really require fast charging in order to uh, obtain a continuous mobility uh, lifestyle uh, that, that people can actually uh, rely on the energy to be available for them uh, when they need it, where they need it. I mean, if, if we look even at, uh, you know, the, what is the challenge of humanity when it comes to energy? So up to, let's say, 50 years ago or even 40, it was, you know, how are we going to uh, take the uh, oil out of the land or gas and, and, uh, and coal and burn it and get, uh, you know, the steam in order to generate electricity? Mm-hmm. This was like our, uh, the number one mission of humanity. And it, we didn't realize that uh, we're actually hurting ourselves, we're hurting the planet, and it's a very limited uh, horizon in terms of, uh, you know, this uh, solution to the energy problem. The problem now shifted totally, because there are ways to, uh, to have alternative energy, like with wind, with solar, with, with the hydroelectric, uh, there, there are many ways, there's, of course, nuclear, but the, the problem of extracting uh, oil out of the earth is, is no longer, you know, everybody understands it's, it's not sustainable. Uh, now the problem shifts to, you know, take the energy and store it. And the only way to do it really in the, let's say, in the next decade is with lithium-ion batteries. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are other alternative ways. People talk about hydrogen. Yeah, it's a viable solution, but it's, it's most likely a niche solution. Uh, people talk about other fuel cells or, or ideas. All of them can work, but for a vehicle, I think all the experts agree that lithium-ion is the only solution that is viable in the coming decade. And this yeah. is what we are focused on, how to improve the lithium-ion battery. That, by the way, if you look at the Nobel Prize of 2019 uh, for, in chemistry, uh, for Goodenough uh, and, and, and et al., yeah. basically what they did, it's a great innovation that say you can take lithium ions and store them in an active material and the active material of choice was graphite why because it's abundant and it's relatively cheap Mm -hmm. but the problem is that it has high resistance and it's very slow in charging but this is was not one of their goals they didn't think about fast charging this wasn't their problem to solve so what we are trying to do is to leverage on this great innovation and basically say how we take it a step further and make it really fast charging that, you know, in minutes you'll be able to store this energy or even seconds uh, down the road. And, and this energy will be available for you in your vehicle or in your house or, or wherever you need it. And this is like the, the biggest transition that is happening is being able to have the energy mobile. And this is why it, I call it uh, batteries is the new oil. Mm-hmm. The yep. new oil because, because you don't need to extract oil anymore. You just need it in a battery. But of course, you know, it needs to be with good materials that are good for the planet, that you can recycle them. And basically, you know, you don't want to create a new problem of sustainability with uh, batteries that actually, uh, you know, hurt uh, the environment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so exciting and also a dynamic space. I mean, we work with a number of 
companies uh, across uh, the battery evolution from from LG Chem to a lot of uh, long duration storage, which obviously is not not lithium ion. But there's there's so much innovation going on, and even within lithium ion, you've seen, of course, the striving to be rid of cobalt and some of the more damaging uh, and, and harder to to find materials. But ultimately, I think it's about, as you say, speed of charge and energy density. Uh, clearly, if we can have lighter batteries, that helps uh, from a vehicle point of view, and clearly the fast charging we've touched on is a, a critical factor. Um, you do a lot of a lot of research R and D both in Israel, of course, but you recently opened an R and D center in the US. What's the kind of primary uh, challenges that you're looking at through your next level of uh, R and D? Yes, yeah, so uh, we understand that uh, you know we need to keep improving on the energy density. Right now, we are in the neighborhood of 300 uh, watt hour per kilogram, which is maybe the state of the art. But, uh, you know, for re really, we believe we can reach 450 watt hour per kilogram. And the only way to do that is with solid state uh, batteries. Right. And so solid state batteries uh, is a great promise, but there needs to be major innovation in the material level. Those materials, those ceramic materials that are in combination with polymers uh, that uh, would need to replace the uh, liquid electrolyte, uh, they are available and we do synthesize those in our labs as well. By the way, we have 37 PhDs here uh, in Israel that are uh, working on the materials, both on the nanosilicon, the organic compounds, as well as the solid state electrolytes. And we see, uh, I would say, uh, some uh, limitations in the ability to reach uh, these uh, new materials, this new innovation in a, in a reasonable time frame. And when I say reasonable, I'm talking about 2026, 2027 to be in mass production of solid state. Right. And for that, I felt we need additional talent that uh, we kind of already exhausted what we could have found in Israel. I would say six to seven, maybe eight uh, uh, researchers that are, I'd say, uh, world-class uh, uh, graduating uh, uh, PhDs in Israel, uh, we already hire. But we, we think we can double that uh, by opening an R&D center that is close to, let's say, Stanford, or even mm -hmm. people at MIT, uh, definitely Berkeley. Uh, and this is why we are looking at California, but of course we'll, we'll take people from all over the U.S., where they are actually looking at the challenge of uh, these, uh, the scale-up of this uh, new generation of materials that are either ceramic in polymer or polymer in ceramic, uh, depending on what will work best on the anode side or on the cathode side. Um, so this is the purpose of the R&D Center in California. Right, right. And it's great to see that that uh, again a global problem uh, harnessing global talents to uh, to, to solve uh, these issues. Um, one thing that's interesting because there is so much evolution and so much um, everything from investment to 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 innovation in and around uh, batteries. Um, so many gigafactories either in play or being built, uh, not just of course by uh, by our friend Elon. Um, what's the business model for Stordot, are you looking to license the technology, produce the materials, become a battery manufacturer? Uh, how much of that can you share? No, I can actually share because it's very easy. We are trying to be all of that, uh, but, uh, you know, in, in a smart way. Uh, and the reason is that, uh, you know, for a company to really uh, uh, have its destiny in, in its own hands, we need to own the product and we need to own the supply chain. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this type in a battery, you cannot really license it because it's not about one patent or even a group of patents. We keep innovating new materials and new ideas all the time, and we keep upgrading the, the uh, formulation of the anode, the cathode, the electrolyte on a continuous basis. So the, there can't be a, a model of pure licensing. And this is why you know, we are doing these joint ventures, like the one we have in China with EVE Energy, but we're, we're working on several others uh, in the UK, uh, in Italy. We are working on one uh, in Texas, uh, in Arizona. The idea is that uh, there's going to be this joint venture where we provide our technology uh, for, in, in exchange for captive capacity, meaning let's say in, in China, for example, we have six gigawatt hour uh, initially in the first year, 2024 is the year of mass production. Uh, so this six gigawatt hour would go to our potential customer, such as Daimler, who is a, a, a one of our lead investors, yeah. uh, and others that we are working on. But we would need several of these in order to have significant volume. Uh, like each gigawatt hour is, let's say, like 20,000 vehicles a year. Uh, so we are trying to reach uh, several hundreds of thousands of vehicles a year uh, with extreme fast charge, let's say, by 2028. Uh, and in order to do that, we'll have maybe five or, or six or seven of these joint ventures. So it is also licensing because those joint ventures would allow the battery manufacturer to produce uh, our battery, yeah. but uh, we'll get royalties out of that, so that's licensing. But we will also have our own captive capacity that will allow us to guarantee uh, a volume uh, to our customers because everybody understands, and I've been saying this for years, the market is entering an era of significant over-demand, very serious. We are already looking at uh, shortages in batteries, big time, and it's going to get much, much worse. And I'm looking at maybe 3x of demand over battery supply over the coming decade. So, you know, we need about 100 of these gigafactories to be built, and there are only like 20 or 25 that are uh, in design. And this is why I think it's going to be major shortage in batteries. So for uh, a startup with a new technology to survive this market, the only way is to own capacity uh, through uh, these agreements of captive capacity. Yeah, yeah. I think there's always that, uh, as you say, uh, I guess, benefit of both having financial investment, which clearly you have, but also those strategic partners like with Daimler, who are uh, a, uh, any sort of an internal market, so to speak, and an opportunity to both evolve the product, but also to have that capacity for building a market for, for revenue generation. Um, t- tell us a little bit of where you are, where the technology is at the moment. We touched on the, 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 the iPhone in 30 seconds, um, where sort of people can see or what the level of demonstration is at the moment and when do you think we'll first see a electric vehicle a passenger vehicle able to utilize the uh, store technology and charge rapidly or ultra rapidly as we've discussed okay so actually made uh, much progress recently uh, last week we got the uh, finally we got the certification uh, the un 38.3 for uh, transportation of batteries and these are uh, for 30 amp hour cells that are uh, produced uh, in our joint venture in China. These are uh, a pure silicon anodes uh, that we've produced uh, uh, through our joint venture. Uh, we have produced uh, uh, a, a large quantity for sampling. We call those A samples. Uh, it's still not at the final energy density. It's still not at the final cycle life, but it does allow us to build packs 
with our partners and to start demonstrating um, uh, a full uh, fast charging, extreme fast charge vehicle. Uh, we also uh, um, recently published uh, our relationship with VinFast in Vietnam. Uh, that they are a newcomer, very aggressively uh, taking over also the U.S. and European markets. So we'll uh, probably demonstrate something with them uh, as well as with Daimler uh, with uh, with these new uh, A samples. So we are already uh, working on the vehicle platforms, uh, but we still have ways to go in terms of the final formulation that reaches, as I mentioned, the 300 watt hour per kilogram with at least 1,000 charge discharge cycles. Uh, of all of them, uh, extreme fast charge cycles. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think we're we're months or decades or, or years away from from hopefully getting to the point where we are at that level? So we'll we'll show something at CES, which is in a couple of months. Okay. Yeah. But uh, we'll show uh, maybe a bigger thing uh, at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Uh, that's in like uh, three four months, uh, end of February, uh, and by the end of twenty twenty two. Uh, we should be with a full platform with the final performance. Oh, okay, which is pretty uh, not so far away at all. Um, you touched on a few, quite a few things there. I mean, let's just say it's a dynamic environment. One of which is uh, around cycles. I already have this argument with many people that you know the the battery will outlast the car, not the other way around, <laughs> pretty pretty soon. So there's the cyclability, but there's also then sustainability and supply chain. You talk about the gigafactories as around getting the materials to the gigafactories, and then of course end of life, uh, the recyclability. So, what's your thoughts or focus on the sort of uh, the the circular economy elements of uh, the technology you're developing? Right. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, lithium-ion battery is a lithium-ion battery. I mean, yes, we can get rid of uh, the cobalt, which we are working very hard on. We already moved from uh, uh, the cathode of 622 NMC yeah. uh, to 811, and we are actually uh, 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 experimenting now with uh, 9 half half, so only 5% of cobalt as active material in the cathode, but uh, we still... Uh, have you know the lithium? We have the nickel. We have the manganese. All these are recyclable, but in order to uh, make it a sustainable business, uh, there needs to be significant volume, which I think the entire market is still uh, looking at uh, these opportunities uh, uh, as as something down the road and, and not very economically uh, yet. Uh, but so our, our aim is to eliminate uh, the difficult. I would say the the most problematic materials. Cobalt is, is critical because of the child labor and, uh, issues in, in Congo and so forth, uh, yeah. but also the, all the other metals uh, that uh, would need to be recycled. And of course, there's, there's, like you mentioned, there's the second life. Way before you would recycle the battery, mm. um, you know, the warranty of the vehicle goes away after it goes down to 80% of its original capacity. Uh, but after that, uh, those batteries can still serve uh, many years um, a secondary support for, let's say, the fast charging stations for the infrastructure, yep. Yep. because you would need a buffer in order to level the uh, demand, the peak demand uh, for for fast charging, especially uh, during rush hour uh, or when people go back home and everybody wants to charge for the next day. Um, all those would be supported by uh, second life uh, batteries that are coming out of the vehicles. So there are a lot of models that we are trying to uh, align to. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have to admit that uh, lithium-ion batteries uh, is not, let's say, the best uh, combination of materials uh, for the long ones. As we move to solid state, uh, because the energy density goes up, uh, let's say, by 50%, uh, 
then of course you would need less of these materials because the yeah. batteries are, are more efficient. Uh, but uh, but down the road, uh, there's still going to be a serious business of uh, recycling the materials and bringing them back into the economy. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And there are a number of people who are focused specifically on that. And uh, it's great to see both, as you say, firstly, second life usage, but then end of life uh, recycling as best as is possible. We will know, none of these things are a zero sum game. Of course, there are always environmental impacts to everything we do. But clearly, uh, anything is better than digging oil and gas out of the hole, out of a hole and, and burning it. Um, and talking of which, we'll come back to this in a minute. But I know that it's obviously, uh, I guess, uh, this week, uh, particularly we talked about both uh, not quite being in Glasgow for different, different reasons. For, for COP26, but um, taking a sidestep a little, if you if you like, what are you hoping for, or what would you like to see from a policy or an investment perspective that will help not just store that, but the whole transition to electrification of transport? So I think the bottleneck really for the adoption, once uh, we solve the, uh, I'd say the chemistry and the physics of uh, extreme fast charging, the infrastructure is the number one uh, bottleneck. Uh, because at the end of the day, the grids um, that we have both in Europe, definitely in Israel, but also U.S. Um, uh, and even in China, they are not, um, they will not plan to sustain this uh, high power uh, that is required. Yeah. And then upgrade to the grid is really critical. But this is only the beginning because the grid is, let's say, you know, the government can help and maybe some private electricity companies uh, can support. But at the end of the day, when uh, you get into the charging station, there needs to be a very powerful charging station that can support extreme fast charging. So we are looking at at least 350 kilowatt, even half a megawatt of charging for each vehicle. Yeah. And these charging stations uh, are still not available. Uh, maybe it's small amount, uh, small numbers, uh, but we would need them at a, at a very large scale. And by the way, this is the reason that BP, uh, British Petroleum, invested in Stodo, because they have 18,500 uh, gas stations, and all of them would need, in over the coming decade, would need to be repurposed uh, mm -hmm. for charging, because otherwise the whole forecourt model does not work. Not the yep. real estate in the center of London, and not also the retail that is associated with these forecourts. So, you know, people need to be in and out of the station in a matter of five to ten minutes. Otherwise, uh, you know, adoption will be very slow. And this is why, you know, the investment in infrastructure, starting from the grid all the way to the charging station and to the new standards that are required, the new safety regulations, all these things need to happen now because it takes several years for this to really uh, trickle into the uh, market. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important, but also touching on, we've talked primarily, I guess, loosely around cars or, you know, passenger transport for private private passenger transport. But of course, there's an enormous amount of electrification going on in public transit and, and of course, in haulage. Um, still some debates whether fuel cells or hydrogen can play a part there, of course, but um, you already start to see ABB, I think, with megawatt uh, charging solutions. Um, but as you say, it's not just having the uh, the charging infrastructure on site, it's having the power on site to be able to deploy uh, however many buses, however many vehicles at any one time. So it's, uh, it's a big challenge. Exactly. And, and let's not forget the safety aspect of that, because this is all new. And at the end of the day, there's a driver, there's a person that is sitting at the, at, at the wheel, and underneath him, there's a megawatt of charger. Um, I mean, we cannot, and especially that some of these stations at the beginning will 
will be some combination of gas fueling as well as charging stations. We cannot allow any spark or any safety concerns uh, as, as you implement these high power stations. And this is something that, uh, you know, everybody needs to work together uh, in order to make sure that, that we provide a, a safe environment for these uh, charging mechanisms. Yeah, 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 and they're absolutely critically important. Listen, one of the things I love about this sector, and I've been in clean tech since about 2007 when I started my solar business, uh, is uh, just how collaborative. Of course, there's competition, um, and always will be, and that's healthy, but there's so much collaboration uh, in the sector, I feel, um, both on a personal level and on a, on a company-to-company level, which is, uh, which is great. If, if you kind of take your store hat off for a moment and just look a little bit into your crystal ball broadly at the electrification of transport, over the next three to five years, what are some of the key things that you're expecting to see and uh, and hopeful of uh, in that sort of time frame? Well, first of all, I mean, we already see it uh, that all the major players, including some of the newcomers, let's say like Apple and Google with Waymo and, and these guys, they are moving to totally replace the fleet with uh, electrification uh, of vehicles. And yeah. this is already happening, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think the mass uh, 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 population really understands that or realizes that this is already happening. Some people are still thinking when they are buying now a, a combustion engine a vehicle, they are thinking that they'll hold it for a decade. Mm. This is not the case because you will not be able to go into the major cities, let's say in, in Berlin or in, in, in Paris or in London, let's say after uh, 2030, you will not be able to even enter uh, the, the city centers with these vehicles. So I think what, what I'm hoping to see is, is, a, is a shift in the mindset of, uh, of the people that electrification is here to stay. And it's actually one of the key solutions for uh, the uh, planet and, and global warming as, as a whole. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're quite right. We get sometimes in a little bit of a bubble because I'm sure like you, most of me, my, me and my team, we do nothing but talk to clean tech companies and sit in this space day in and day out. And sometimes when you go to an event where you meet a member of the family or a member of the public and you overhear some conversations, there's such a lack of awareness of what's happening and what's possible. Yeah. Going back exactly. to your point of the fact that, you know, after in three or four years time, your combustion engine vehicle will struggle to go into many places, as you've alluded to. Um, yeah, there are so many things. I think I think people don't often get the nature of disruption. And once we reach tipping points, how quickly things happen once those tipping points are reached. Uh, sadly, exactly. we see that in the climate, but obviously positively we see it in technology. So let's uh, again talk about, because you touched on this yesterday, I always close with looking, Doran, at um, influences behind entrepreneurs and successful clean tech uh, leaders, uh, be they uh, books, thought leaders, individuals, mentors, however, um, that inspire you and challenge you and keep you motivated and uh, be good to explore. Um, yeah, what, what's kind of inspired you along your journey and what continues to inspire you in the, the work that you're doing? Yeah, so for me, you know, Elon Musk is, uh, is really, you know, uh, a mentor because he was the first one to realize way before everybody else that uh, a vehicle is something else. The next generation vehicle, the electrified vehicle, is first and foremost is a battery. And then there's a bunch of software that sits on this battery and manages the vehicle, whether it's the autonomous, the autonomous, the connected, the shared, all this is software. So the whole experience of the driver 
is like entering into a smartphone, right? Yep. Into an, an iPhone. And, and he realized it first, and this is why he built the first Gigafactory in Nevada, uh, together with, uh, with Panasonic at the time. Uh, but, um, you know, everybody is now following this lead. And, uh, you know, if you look at Daimler or if you look at BMW or, or Audi or everybody, they're building their own battery factories because they understand that otherwise they'll have the, uh, the metal, but they won't have anything to, to power it with. Yeah. Uh, so definitely batteries is the new oil and batteries is the new vehicle uh, and with the right software. And, and this is something that I've learned first from Elon Musk and he was right on. Uh, and he continues to amaze, uh, to amaze everybody with uh, his forward thinking about where the market is going, uh, not only in electrification, but, uh, you know, in transportation as in general. And even, uh, you know, uh, putting a colony in Mars. Uh, this is something that uh, we, we are looking at uh, Elon Musk uh, to, to do for us. Yeah, no, he and the uh, and obviously the Tesla journey is a phenomenal one. Whether you know some people are fanboys, some some less so, but you can't uh, alter the, uh, the 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 acknowledgement that uh, they've really moved the dial forward. I think one of the interesting things is, like you say, a lot of the OEM or two OEMs have come late to the party, but are starting to obviously, as you say, build gigafactories and and take the supply chain of batteries oh. to heart. I think what we've really seen where where again Tesla and uh, Elon uh, excels, and a lot of uh, the traditional automotive companies have struggled is around software and uh, the fact that as you say the, the 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 vehicle of today is is a is a software with wheels rather than a, uh, some wheels with some software and and the battery of course because without the battery the vehicle uh, you know is, is is worthless right i mean uh, the battery is, is the center it, by the way also it cost wise even if we are looking only let's say at 80 dollars per kilowatt hour which is our target for mass production Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you need like a, like a hundred kilowatt hour battery or, or even 80. We're looking at six to ten thousand dollars just the cost of the battery. Uh, and this is almost you know half or third of the vehicle depending on yeah. you know how luxury of a vehicle it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, don't we could go on all, all forever, We've, um, but it's been really fascinating to hear a little bit about this story and uh, where store.r and where you're looking to, to go. Super excited to see uh, further demonstrations of the technology as it evolves towards that point of uh, actualization and uh, market adoption. Um, we'll point uh, the audience to uh, the various uh, social media channels and to those um, online videos of, uh, of examples of the charging in, in process and some of the smaller batteries. Um, but in the meantime, it's been great to talk to you and really looking forward to uh, seeing the further evolution of the company. Thank you, David. It was my pleasure. Uh, always fun talking to you. Hello and thanks very much for joining us on the Leasing Clean Tech podcast. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and uh, appreciate you joining us again. Uh, please do subscribe if you haven't already and please do share uh, any episodes of uh, particular interest within your community. Uh, if you do get an opportunity to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice, very much appreciated. Hopefully see you on the next episode.